We come here and we sing and we praise and we worship that death was arrested, that our sins have been paid for, and ultimately we're looking forward to celebrating all weekend long that death was not just arrested, but it was defeated, and it can no longer harm us even because of what God has done for us. We celebrate it with everything we've got. We celebrate it with everything we've got, but today and over the next few moments, we want to be reminded that it came with the heaviest price. It came with a very, very difficult price that was borne by our Savior himself. I want to welcome all of you again to this Good Friday service. It's great to see you. We're so honored to know that more than a couple hundred people are joining us online, so from wherever you are today, whether you're in your office or at home with some kids gathered around or wherever you might be, our hope as here as the family of God at Westridge Church is that all of us for the next few moments, that we would just focus on what our Savior did for us on that Friday on the cross. You know, the Jewish day actually begins at night. It begins at 6 p.m. And so when we think of What Jesus did for us on that Friday, I want to take you to what for us would be that night before. In fact, if you read the gospel writers, you will hear them say things like the hour had come, the time had come, and they're referring to each and every time, they're referring to the time when Jesus is gathered into that room in the upper part of the city of Jerusalem in order to take the Passover meal with his disciples. And just on that night alone, the things that he did, the things that he taught were absolutely extraordinary. In fact, he begins, as the table is set that night for that Passover meal, he begins by getting up from the table and washing the feet of his disciples. He begins by once again reminding us, illustrating for us, that greatness in the kingdom of God comes when the person you expect the least is willing to get up and put a towel around their waist and wash the feet of those that they love. That's how the night begins. And then that Passover meal continued, that meal that had once symbolized the deliverance of God's people out of Egypt. And now he modifies it. The Lamb of God, the Lamb of God born in Bethlehem, where all the lambs that would be used for Passover in Jerusalem, had also been born. The Lamb of God, born in Bethlehem, now stands up with his disciples, or there at the table as they all recline. He takes the bread and he breaks it, and he modifies that Passover meal and shows us that actually he has been the fulfillment of that all along. Matthew chapter 26, we pick it up, and it says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. He took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The disciples could not really have fully grasped the impact of this moment and the symbolism of the body broken and the blood that was shed. Following that night, this sacred communion became a vehicle for proclaiming the death of Jesus Christ until his return. Their minds must have been just spinning as they left that upper room, as they walk over to the Mount of Olives and he's teaching them as he goes. He's, he's giving them some of his most 
memorable words, the things that so many would write down later on and so many would teach and preach about. He goes to the Mount of Olives and he, they take some time there to worship. And they descend off of that hill, they walk across a valley and up into an olive grove. And to the disciples and maybe to a handful of others who might have been with them, he said, I want you guys to stop here. And he took with him Peter, James, and John, those three, and they went just a little bit further. They went just a little bit further into that olive grove. And even to those three guys, he said, I want you guys to stop here. I want you to stop here and I want you to pray. I'm going to go a little bit further. On one side of that garden, that grove, the book of Luke tells us there's a cave. And in that cave, we, know, we would know from history that there would be a large stone wheel inside. Matthew says Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. He said to the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. That large millstone would be used to gather all of the olives from that grove and they would bring them into that cave and then that millstone would be used as part of the process of extracting the olive oil. That millstone would have been pushed by people or even by animals and it would have crushed the olives in order to bring out the oil. That stone was called a Gethsemane. It's a place of pressing, a place of crushing. And not only does it act to name this landmark garden, but its name also becomes a, another visual on this night of the crushing weight that is beginning to be placed on Jesus as he begins this process of taking on the sins of the world for all of us. There's two words used to describe Jesus' emotions in the Garden of Eden. The translation I just read says that Jesus is very sorrowful even to death, but there's two words used to describe that. They're translated that way. Those words tell us that Jesus was in deep, sorrowful, emotional pain. In fact, the first of those words refers to the pain of childbirth. The second is, is really kind of interesting because it says that Jesus is actually feeling fearful, distressed, He's losing his courage, that feeling of just, of not feeling at home, of being so uneasy. In the Garden of Gethsemane, this place of crushing, Jesus is carrying pain and fear and tension that is just absolutely overwhelming him. You can feel the tension in the words of his prayer in the book of Mark. When he says in Mark 14, 36, and he said, Abba, Father, as he prays. All things are possible for you. This is something we all celebrate. This is something we all claim. God, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you will. Father, there has to be another way. And Luke tells us that after the first time that Jesus prayed on that night, he was visited by an angel in the garden. and That he was strengthened. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, Luke tells us. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Is it any wonder that he began to sweat those drops of blood? Is it any wonder that those three disciples who had entered the garden with him kept falling asleep, Luke tells us, just out of the sheer stress and weight that they're feeling? Have you ever considered how God answered the prayer of Jesus in the garden. 
He sent an angel, but that's not what I'm talking about. The writer of Hebrews appears to be alluding to this exact moment. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, it says this. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Jesus was heard. The prayer to save him from death was heard. It was heard because of his reverence, yet the events of the evening marched forward. Jesus looked into that cup of unbelievable suffering and agony, and he says to his father, is there any other way? There must be another way. And when the father made it clear that this was the only way, that he would not be saved from death on this night and on the day that followed, yet he was heard. What exactly was the prayer that God heard and honored on this good Friday? It's simple words, very simple words. Eight simple words. Eight words that carry Jesus through the events of the next few hours. Perhaps the eight most powerful words of any prayer ever uttered. Eight words that give the Savior the strength for what he would endure. And eight words that are available to carry us through anything we might encounter. Eight words that I got to be honest, for me, most of the time, they are the most difficult eight words to pray. Yet they are the key to unlock peace and joy and freedom. Matthew records it this way. Going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, and these eight words, not as I will, but as you will. Not my will, but your will be done. Complete obedience and surrender to the will of the Father. And he knew what was coming. Indeed, Judas is already on his way with those who would lead him away into the dark of this night for the physical suffering to actually begin. Not my will, but your will be done. I have come to believe that the most liberating attribute of God's character is his sovereignty. And it was upon the attribute of the sovereignty of Father God that the Son ultimately tossed his greatest burden. Jesus models for us that when we are under the greatest pressures, the greatest sorrows, the greatest trials that this world has to offer, that the greatest prayer we can pray is the one he prayed in the garden that night, not my will, but your will be done. And he knew what was coming. He knew what was coming because it had been foretold by the prophet hundreds of years before. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 10 says, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. And here he is in that garden, in that place that literally means crushing. He has put him to grief. And when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The prayer has been answered. 
and the will of God would march forward in the hours to come. Before we move forward looking at what happened in the hours to come, we want to take just a moment in this service now and to participate in the meal that Jesus participated at the beginning of Good Friday. If you're here in this room as we just took communion together, those cups that you just had, you'll be able to dispose of those at the end of the service here in just a few moments. Picking back up with the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53, verse 11, he says, As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be justified. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Jesus took our sins onto that cross. His prayer was heard. And the will of the Father marched forward. And with those eight words that he had prayed at the beginning of that Friday, Jesus was carried through the events of the next several hours. And those words sustained him as he continued to be obedient to the will of his Father. Not my will, but your will be done. And on this day, it's important for us. It's always important, but we take a long look today. It's important that we not take for granted the suffering of the Savior. He is humiliated repeatedly by Jewish leaders and Roman soldiers that evening. And after he's passed back and forth a little bit and the physical suffering begins, he is beaten mercilessly by those Roman soldiers before they gambled on his clothes. He was whipped by a cat of nine tails, leaving his back a mutilated mess. And even that beating helped pave the way for our salvation was part of the will of the Father. As Isaiah tells us, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, we are healed. Peter would pick it up later on and say, by his stripes, we are healed. Not my will, but your will be done. No doubt his body is already suffering the effects of, of shock as they twist a crown of thorns and bang them into his brow. And with a robe around him, they present him in this beaten and humiliated fashion in front of a crowd of people all too eager to condemn him to the cruelest of deaths. Yet he's carried through, not my will, but your will be done. They attempt to have him carry that 50-pound beam that would be his cross through the city and up the hill to Golgotha, the place of the skull. And when he can't do it on his own, a man named Simon is recruited from the crowd and forced to carry it to that place where Jesus would be nailed by his hands and feet to that wooden beam. The gospel writers actually don't mention the nails at the moment of crucifixion. It's only after Jesus is risen from the dead when Thomas asked to see the nail prints that he reveals them to us some days later. Don't you know that every disciple, even though we look to doubting Thomas as asking to see those prints, don't you know that every single one leaned in to see them themselves? And we look at those nail prints today in our mind's eye through his hands and through his feet. Not my will, but your will be done. Then for six hours... He hung there barely able to breathe. No doubt blood and sweat poured down his face into eyes that he could not wipe out. Searing pain 
accompanied by the laughter of hell as the one who knew no sin became its very embodiment on that Friday. Not my will, but your will be done. He made several statements over the course of those hours. Father, forgive them, he cried out. They don't know what they're doing. And being not just fully God, but fully human, he took a moment to be sure his, his mother was cared for by his closest friend on the planet. He became thirsty and made it known with the words, I thirst, not my will, but your will be done. Nothing had ever before come between the father and the son. But as the cup of God's wrath is being poured out in anguish, Jesus cries out, my God, my God. And then he asked the question that so many of us have asked at different times about our own lives. Why? Why? The question of Jesus on the cross. He's always instructed us to pray to God, our Father. And this is the only time that he himself in prayer doesn't use that term. An intense moment of anguish and separation he had never experienced before. And truly a mystery for us today. God forsaken by God on that cross. And when the cup of God's wrath was emptied, Jesus declares that he has seen his mission full to its complete obedience. He uses a one word statement that is translated for us. It is finished. But I don't think we can fully grasp what happened in that moment when God abandoned his son in that last moment on the cross. But after he declares it's finished, not only had he completed the task, the mission that the father had sent him to do, But that moment of abandonment is finished as well. Jesus did not end the time on the cross abandoned by God. He quotes a psalm and he adds a word. He quotes Psalm chapter 31 verse 5 and Luke captures it. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said... Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Into your hands I commit my spirit. That's the verse he quoted, but he adds a word. He adds a word. He adds the word, Father. He was carried to that last eight-word statement. Father, Into your hands I commit my spirit. By the first eight-word statement he prayed the night before, not my will, but your will be done. For a few moments, for a few hours, he did not pray, Father, so that we forever can. He suffered anguish and abandonment so that we would never have to. And so that he could make an eight-word promise to all of us. 
I will never leave you or forsake you. He was crushed, beaten, pierced, abandoned for us and for our sins so that we wouldn't have to be. And yet his obedience and commitment to the will of God led him back full circle to perfect communion with God in order that he might be made the source of our salvation. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. And that is why we can look to this Friday with all of its bitterness, with all of its pain, we can look to it as a good Friday because our Savior, because of what has happened on this cross, becomes the source of eternal salvation available to every man, woman, child ever born on this planet. He is our Savior today. And as we picture that cross in our mind's eye, it's important to note that Jesus was not only compelled by the will of God, but he was compelled by something else as well. It's interesting how John writes his book. At Westridge, we've been looking at it over the last several weeks, looking at the miracles that John records. It's interesting as John begins to write down the events that happened on that Friday in John chapter 13, he begins to tell of the night that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. But John frames the entire thing by saying that he loved those who were with them, that were with him. He loved them till the end. It wasn't just obedience that left the son on that cross. But it was his everlasting love for you and for me. It was not just the will of the father that left him there. It was not just the will of the father that compelled him to obey. It was his love for you. Every time that he was hit by that whip, it was his love for you. As the nails are placed between his hands and feet, it was his love for you. As he hung there with every statement, with every thing that he cried out on that day, he was demonstrating his love towards us while we were still yet sinners. He died for us. On this Good Friday, we look And we don't see as people of followers of Jesus, we don't merely see the suffering of Jesus. We see the love of God. Second Corinthians chapter five, the apostle Paul writes, and he says, for the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. He loved so that we can love. He loved you so that you can proclaim his love and give it away. He died so that we don't have to. In his death, we have been crucified with Christ. And so now we no longer live, but it is him living 
in us. And as we end this Good Friday, on this side of the cross, we know that death was arrested. We know that he has won the victory. And because of that, victory is ours as well every single day. Would you bow your heads and pray with me on this Good Friday? If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, or if you're sitting at home in an office somewhere, maybe someone invited you to just kind of look at what was happening in their church. I want you to know that that tug on your heart right now, that thing that's inside of you, compelling you, pulling you into this moment, is nothing less than the Spirit of God who wants us all to understand on this Friday that the events of that day all of those years ago were done in order that you and I might have eternal life. His blood was shed as payment for your sins and for mine. If you're here today, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You've never accepted that he is God's plan, God's way for salvation. Would you right now, in your own words, would you pray with me? God, this is a different moment for me. It's a different Easter for me as I look again at the cross of Jesus. God, I believe that all the suffering, all everything I've heard about, the, the blood that was shed, the this, this story I've heard even today again, it takes on a new meaning as I realize that God the Son came and gave his life for me. So God, I turn away. I turn and go the other way from trying to do things on my own. God, I change my mind that has told me for all these years that I don't need you, that I don't need a savior. And God, I accept that this is your plan for my life. Commit my life to you. And though I don't know exactly what to do next, I commit to following you every day that I can, the best I know how. If you're here today and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ on this Good Friday, for you it truly becomes that as it is for me, a Good Friday. Would you please stop by and let us know here on this campus today, would you let us know at the Help Center immediately following? The table out there in the atrium, someone there would love to take a moment and to, and to pray with you. If you are sitting at home or in an office somewhere, you can go to our website, you can email us and let us know of the decision you made today. We wanna help you get started right. For all of us in this room, as we reflect on this cross, as we look at the suffering and the anguish, we see the love of God. May we see it fresh and new today like never before. God, we thank you that we see you from this side of the cross that the Savior died so that we wouldn't have to, that he suffered so that we wouldn't have to, that he was abandoned so that we would never be. And God, may we learn to pray as he prayed, not my will, but your will be done in every area of our lives. We thank you for all that this day means and what it teaches us again each time we hear this story. In Jesus' name, amen.